0: Welcome everyone, it's been a a good morning hasn't it so far with all the kids getting involved and a big thank you not that either of them are in the room to Catherine and uh, Rebecca for the work they've put in for the kids service this morning, Um, they've put a lot of work in and all the other kids, church leaders who serve faithfully each week, thank you because we see in Emmanuel at home, but we see in all the kids that their faith is growing and, and their understanding of who God is, is growing. And it's because of your willingness to serve in Kids Church that that happens. So thank you for that. Um, today we move on to Blessed are the Persecuted. And it's the eighth Beatitude. And then next week we're going to wrap up the series. Um, so next week's the last week in our Beatitudes series. This week I sent around an email that many of you hopefully got and, actually, and read on the self And I don't know if you, if you read it or not, hopefully you did, but I'm going to ask Mao to come out because we're going to have a bit of fun. Mao's the epitome of fun. (laughs) We're gonna we're gonna take it in turns, and um, I'm gonna (laughs) my knees couldn't hold me that long if I had to bend down. I'm gonna read a beatitude, and then Mao's gonna read a corresponding selfitude. And I want you to listen. Listen to these. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.
1: Happy are those who are confident and, and, comp- and, and competent, for they have lots of friends and are able to achieve what they want.
0: Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted.
1: Happy are those who make their own personal happiness and comfort their first priority. For they will enjoy their life.
0: Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth.
1: Happy are the go-getters. For they will get themselves the best chance of achieving their goals.
0: Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be
1: filled. Happy are those who believe that they are reasonably good and moral. For they will be pretty happy with themselves and have the moral right to judge others.
0: Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy.
1: Happy are those who ensure that they exact judgment on those who wrong them, for they will ensure that others do not take advantage of them.
0: Blessed are the pure in heart, for they
1: will see God. Happy are those who look after number one, for this will ensure they only do what they want to do. Blessed
0: are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God.
1: Happy are those who care about their own needs, for they will not be drawn into other messy and complicated lives. Happy are those who stay away from getting involved with others, for they will then be safe and comfortable.
0: Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.
1: Happy are you when people praise you and compliment you, give you gifts to curry favour with you and suck up to you because they are scared of what you might do to them. Be very happy because you then have the best chance of having a convenient and fun life and get to do what you want. Aiming at anything less than that is completely stupid because we only have this one life and we know what that happens to people who do not make themselves their number one priority.
0: Thanks, Mal. Interesting when you read them side by side, isn't it? The contrast between the two... And as we look at today's beatitude, Blessed are the Persecuted, in a sense, we can make this about a two-minute sermon. Don't all get too excited, please. Just keep the, the smiles relatively hidden. Because Blessed are the Persecuted, and what does it mean to be persecuted, can be summed up in one sentence if you're living out the other seven beatitudes well then the eighth will happen if you're living out the other seven beatitudes we've studied well and accurately in glory to god then this one blessed are the persecuted well it'll happen to you you will be persecuted But see, in today's Western church, we often struggle with everything's persecution. I'm being persecuted. No, you're a goose. Sometimes people are being persecuted because they're actually doing the right thing, and sometimes they're shooting themselves in the foot, and then they call themselves persecuted. And we're going to answer that question today as well. How do you know whether the trouble you're facing is good persecution because you are doing things right for God or whether you're just being a turkey. And it's an important question to wrestle with because in the West we have a victim mentality. At In the West at the moment the church is losing influence. The church is being shunned to the side and many Christians are going, we're being persecuted. Are we? Are we actually being persecuted as a church or are we shooting ourselves in the foot and society's going, you're a bunch of gooses? So that's the question we've got to wrestle with once we understand what's persecution. So what does it mean to be persecuted and insulted? Each week we've asked the question, what was Jesus saying to his first hearers? How would Jesus' the first hearers, when he was giving this sermon on the mount, how would they have understood what Jesus said? And the word "persecuted" means to pursue, to be pursued or chased. It can also mean to be harassed. Okay. Now, in verse eleven, Jesus says, "Blessed are you when people insult you." When can also be translated as "whenever." Okay, so it's not a guaranteed thing, it's not a 24-7 thing, but it does happen. There'll be times of persecution, there'll be times where you're not being persecuted. But the more interesting thing is the word persecuted, and if you go to the Arthur's Greek classes starting 19th of July, there's a plug for you, mate. You'll learn all about this exciting stuff. But persecuted... The word persecuted is a passive perfect particle. What does that mean? It means it can be translated as blessed are those who allow themselves to be persecuted. So we can actually rewrite this to blessed are those who allow themselves to be persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Interesting, isn't it? Allow themselves to be persecuted. And that gives a completely different twist on understanding what Jesus is saying here. And there's a couple of really simple examples in the Bible. First one being Jesus himself. What happened on the night he was betrayed? Did he raise up an army? Did he call down legions of angels? No, he allowed himself to be arrested. We read in the Gospels, Peter carrying a sword. This is in the middle of the arrest. The soldiers have come to arrest Jesus at that very moment. And Peter pulls out a sword and does what? Chops off the high priest's servant's ear. Right in the middle of the arrest. And what does Jesus do? A, Peter, knock it off. And B... What else does he do? He actually heals the high priest servant's ear. On the spot, bang. And they still arrest him. In the middle of the arrest, he heals someone's ear that had just been chopped off with a sword. What do you think he did? Do you think he actually picked up the piece of ear and kind of... Well, you think he just went, be healed, and there's a bit of ear hanging on the ground now? But the high priest servant's got a whole ear, but the the ear's like jumping around. I digress. It's never boring when I'm writing a sermon in my own mind. But Jesus after all that, allowed himself to be arrested. Another example, which we might be able to relate to a little bit more, is in Acts chapter 5. The apostles have been arrested for not the first time for preaching about Jesus, and the Sanhedrin want to put them to death. And Gamil speaks up and goes, ah, maybe you should reconsider your position on this because they're preaching about someone who we think is dead and what's happened every other time someone's, a group of people have been following a leader and the leader dies, the group disperse. But if they're actually following God, if this is actually God, then you guys are in big trouble. And so the Sanhedrin go, yeah, good point. We're going to beat them. So they had the apostles flogged and let go. And what was the apostles' response to this? Woe is me. No, they rejoiced. They were celebrating. They allowed themselves to be persecuted. They celebrated for the fact that they were allowing themselves to be persecuted and they were considered worthy to be persecuted just like Jesus had been. So that's what persecution is. When Jesus is talking about persecution, he's talking about people who allow themselves to be persecuted. And he's also saying there'll be times of persecution, there'll be times of not persecution. And you can see that right through the the early church. first 300 years of the early church, before Constantine made Christianity the official religion of of the empire... There were times of great persecution throughout those 300 years where it really wasn't fun to be a Christian. And there were other times of relative peace. And that's what Jesus is saying in our in our lives as believers, as followers. There'll be times of persecution. There'll be times of not persecution. So as we've done each week, Let's have a look at something in Jesus' life that helps us understand this just a little bit better. And when you think about persecution, if you're like me, your mind automatically goes to the trial, which was highly rigged, and then the cross. Right? So hands up how many people are going to be able to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world today. And that's why we're not going to focus on that. That is key to our faith, that is essential to our faith. I don't want anyone coming back to me later going, you don't care about the cross. But this series has been about helping us live better lives and brighter lives to glorify Christ in our community today. And so I've sought to try and take examples that are closer to what we're going to experience and learn from those examples. And so it's not the cross is not important, it is vital. And it's why we're gathered here today. But it's also, we're going to look at something else. And that something else is that reading in Mark that Doug read out for us very kindly. And if we flick over to the Mark reading, we see a man come up to Jesus, very rich man, who wants a bit of self-gratitude. He wants, he wants to look good. He wants confirmation that what he already thinks is right. And so he says to Jesus, good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? <laughs> Only God alone is good. And you kind of wondered, did, how many people at the time picked up on what Jesus was actually saying? A little bit of a subtle, are you saying I'm God? And you kind of feel as though it just went straight over this man's head, don't you? You get the feeling that it was just missed entirely. But the guy goes, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. And he goes, I have. Ever since I was young. I've kept the commandments. And Jesus goes, that's awesome. Well done. you still got to do one thing. What was it? Sell everything he has, give the money to the poor, go follow Jesus. Interesting, isn't it? That if you read... The examples Jesus gives of the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud and honour your mother and father. What part of the commandments are they? Second half. The half of the commandments that focus on our relationships with each other. Jesus is about to go, how about we deal with the first commandment first? Let's put God number one. And that's where the guy stumbles, doesn't he? He can't do it. He walks away very sad. But see, in that, what we see is this man rejecting Jesus and Jesus' message. Now, no one stuck their hand up before saying that they could go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. But how many times have you talked about God to someone and they've gone, nah, you're wrong. You're a goose. They start to avoid you a little bit more because you're one of them God wackos. Has that happened to anyone or is that just me as well? That's the situation that in the West today, in Wingham today, we're more likely to face and that's why I'm focusing on that. But there's three things which I want to dwell on just quickly. Mention about this little passage. Jesus did three things with the guy. Three things. First thing he did was he looked at him. You go, well. Who was he going to look at? No, no. He looked at him. He engaged with him. The guy who came up to him wasn't some random joker. Jesus actually looked at him. Jesus took time for him. And if we're to represent God fairly and accurately, we need to be looking at people not just seeing them as stepping stones to being seen as more holy because I've converted five people this year and you've only converted two people therefore I'm a better Christian than you, no 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 this ain't some promotional scheme thing these are people's lives we're talking about these are people's eternal destinies we're talking about look at people build a relationship with people, engage with people. That's why I keep banging on and on and on and on about building relationships with the community as individuals and as a church. We need to build relationships with people because we're talking about people's eternal destination here. Some people say it's free will. Some people say predestination. I say, who cares if they're going to hell? They need to know God. Take time to build relationships, just like Jesus. Second thing Jesus does, he loved him. He didn't just engage with the guy because he kind of had to. He didn't just build a relationship with him out of convenience. He loved him. He loved him. And when we develop a greater love for people in our community to come to know and follow Christ than we have for a love of being comfortable and feeling safe. When our love for others surpasses our love for comfort and safety, we'll be out there too. But while ever we love safety and comfort and just being in our own little thing and then God will take care of them. Yeah, God can take care of them. He can use house bricks. But he wants to use you. Why? For your sake. Not for the house brick's sake. Not for the other person's sake. For your sake. He wants to use you. We need to love people more than anything else because it's when our love for people is more than our love for comfort that's when we go and actually start doing things showing the love, building the relationships and we also do the third thing Jesus did Jesus levelled with him Go with the three L's. Leveled. He was honest with him. He didn't water down his message. He didn't say, oh, well, you've got five out of six. Yeah, that's pretty decent. Keep, just keep on going with the way you're going. Jesus was honest with him. He told him the truth. What that man needed to hear in order to actually be grow close and get to know God. See, what's eternal life if there's no God there? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, what's eternal life? I was watching something the other night. I can't remember what it was. It was some show, just random show. It wasn't anything non-fictional or scientific. But two characters in the show were talking about life. And one was saying, well, it's only this life. And... The other person was saying, why would you want to live forever? If there's no Jesus, why would you want to live forever? See, Jesus looked at him, he loved him, and he leveled with him. He engaged with him, he put the man's needs first, and he told the man the truth. And what did the man do? See you later. He rejects Jesus. And in Wingham today, in the Manning Valley today, that's what's more likely to happen to us if we're genuinely living and loving and serving God. We're going to be living, loving, and serving others. And there are going to be people who don't like it. They're going to reject you, they're going to avoid you, they're going to keep you out of conversations. They're going to call you a wacko. They might call you bigoted, depending on the topic. You're a bigoted fool. I've known that for 45 years. (laughs) You're going to get called names. You're going to get mistreated. If you're engaging with people, loving people, and being honest with people, you will be called names. You will be persecuted. To some degree. Let's have a look at John. I want to look at John chapter 3. Because so many Christians get surprised when they get persecuted. And I mean good persecution. And we're about to go into what's the difference between good persecution and shooting yourself in the foot. We'll get to that in a minute. But many Christians today in the West get surprised when when we actually undergo persecution, when you get called names, when you get left out of conversations, when people say, I don't want to be your friend anymore, I don't want to associate with you anymore. And we get surprised. And many Christians respond to that is to actually start to water down how they live and how they speak and what they believe to fit in with society. It's happening more and more and more. Is that what Jesus said to the guy? When the guy goes, well, I don't like that. She, okay, well, hold a sec. Look, I'll have it. We cut out the on your mother and father part. <laughs> Just ignore that. Nah, still too high. Okay, well, how about we cut out the, how about we only sell half your possessions? Is that fair? You can still have half your possessions? No, Jesus did not water down his message, but he said it with love. John, chapter 3. I'm starting at verse 16. Follow with me. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And we all know John 3.16... For God so loved the world that he gave his something. Beautiful gospel message. You can can take the whole gospel and explain it just from John 3.16. John 3.17, not as well known, but still nice and lovely to read. But then we go past verse 17 and everyone kind of forgets what it says. What does it say? Those who don't like the light what hide from it if we are to be in our world in our community as reflections of Christ as followers of Christ not just believers in Christ but as followers of Christ we're shining God's light out of us into the world what do you think is going to happen you don't need to be Einstein to work it out there are some people who are going to be attracted to the light and they're going to come to know God because of your light, God's light shining out of you. And they're going to be attracted to you because of the hope and peace you have inside of you. And there's going to be others who do what? Hide. Reject you. Tell you to go get nicked. Why? Because you have the light inside you, you have God's light. It is shining out of you and they don't like the light. Because the light is exposing them for who they actually are. We all like to think we're pretty decent people. It's a very rare person that if you go up to them and go, what sort of person are you? Oh, I'm, I'm awful. Not impossible, but rare. Rare. Most people have a pretty decent opinion of themselves. For those who aren't Christians, for those who don't follow the Bible, don't follow Jesus, if you go to them and you ask them, okay, are you going to go to heaven when you die? Yeah. They don't believe in God, but they're still going to go to heaven. And then you ask them the second question. So what's the past mark for heaven? What does it take to get into heaven? Since there's no God anyway, but we don't have time today to play with that logic. But when you ask them, what's, the, what's entry into heaven? 99 times out of 100, do you know where that mark's put? Just under them. Just under where they're at. You rank people on a scale of Mother Teresa and Hitler and you kind of put wherever they see themselves, usually about a bit over halfway towards Mother Teresa and the line entry point to heaven is just behind them. Almost every single time. And when you come into their lives shining God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's light... What happens? You're bringing God's perfection. Not that you're perfect. Not that I am either. But you start bringing God's standards into things. They don't like that because it exposes them for who they really are. And that's where often the good persecution will come from. Because you are exposing them. So what's good persecution? What's shooting yourself in the foot? Let me give you a tip. We've looked at it the last seven weeks. Is a pretty good place to start. If you're modelling these beatitudes that we've been studying each week, if you're living them out faithfully, earnestly, with love, then there's a high chance any persecution or rejection you get is actually persecution or rejection. But the more we start to resemble the selfitudes that Mao was reading out, when we read them out side by side, wasn't that really good? Yeah. It was really confronting, wasn't it? But the more our lives resemble the selfitudes and not the beatitudes, the more chance there is that any persecution or insults or rejection or whatever we get is actually caused by us. Those chances increase the more we're living for ourselves and to glorify and serve ourselves. The more we're looking to love and serve and bring people to know God, the more we live out these characteristics in the Beatitudes of the more likely it is that any persecution we do suffer will be genuine persecution. Now persecution can be anything from name calling right through to what they suffer in other countries with physical torture and death. We mustn't kid ourselves here in the West. We don't know what that sort of persecution feels like. Will we? Some will say yes. One day in the West it'll be like that again. Don't know. I can't predict the footy scores. I'm not going to try and predict what's going to happen on a society level in 50 years' time. But here's the thing it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If we're faithfully living out the Beatitudes, then that's what we're called to do. But there's a thing, catch. Because if you notice the Beatitudes, what was the very first one? Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? What did we say that meant? It meant realising we're spiritually bankrupt before God. That automatically, before we do anything else, before we explore any other beatitude, if we're spiritually bankrupt before God, we have no right to be proud. Look at how good I am. I'm a Christian. I I know that Jesus is the Son of God and he died on the cross. We are spiritually bankrupt before God. There is nothing we can do To earn God's love, he loves us because he decided to love us. Nothing we can do, we can't earn it. And when you live from that perspective and that is your starting point, that is your foundation, the rest of the Beatitudes flow. Because you realise you're spiritually bankrupt before God, you mourn over the fact you're spiritually bankrupt before God. And when you start mourning over that fact, you then become meek. In other words, you accept that it's God's will is better than my will for my life. And so I start to transform my thinking to into God-will, God-directed focus, which then creates a hunger and thirst for righteousness because God is righteousness and I want to honour God and my thinking is more like God's thinking, therefore... I hunger and thirst for righteousness. And because I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness and I'm spiritually bankrupt before God, I don't see myself as better than anyone else in the world. I treat them with... Mercy. That's right. Thank you. (laughs) I treat them with mercy because God's treated me with mercy. And because I'm treating others with mercy and I realise I'm spiritually bankrupt before God and my, heart, my will is starting to be transformed into God's will, thinking like God, I treat others with a purity, and I have a purity in my heart that I can't have by myself. And my motivation for treating other people with mercy is to glorify God. And because I'm doing that, and I want to glorify God, and I'm treating other people with purity... Invariably, I will become a peacemaker. Thank you, Cheryl. Bonus three chocolates for you later on. <laughs> we become peacemakers because of our purity, because of our mercy, because of our hunger and thirst for righteousness, because of our will being changed to be more like God, because we realise we're not like God, and we're really sorry that we're not like God. So we become peacemakers. And last week we looked at peacemakers and we worked out that peacemakers are what? Makers. They're not peace lovers. They're not peace thinkers. They're peace makers. They're proactive. And what happens to people who actually go and make peace with people that are hurt? They get hurt. They get hurt. Why? Because hurt people hurt people, and peacemakers step into the middle of those hurtful situations and make peace between them and God and other them and other people. And that's peacemakers. And what's going to happen if you're doing all that, and people don't like being shown up for who they really are? You're going to be persecuted. You are going to be persecuted. That should not come as a shock. If anyone signed up to the Christian life thinking it's going to be hunky-dory, and I'm going to be lots, have lots of money, I'm going to have full health, and everyone's going to love me forever. If you signed up to that Christian life, stick your hand up. I'll give you a full refund. <laughs> it's a crock. It is an absolute crock, that life. If you signed up to the Christian life and you're genuinely following God, as God instructs us in the Bible, I guarantee you there will be dark valleys, like as in Psalm 23. There will be times when life sucks. As I put on Facebook this week, sometimes... Things don't go bad because you've done something wrong, but because you've done something right. Sometimes that happens, but there's an important distinction. There really is an important distinction. We've just been talking about it. If you're living out the Beatitudes, you may well be going through bad things. But what happens? God works with you through them. It doesn't bad times doesn't automatically mean we're doing something wrong. But just because we're Christians and things are going wrong and it's really bad doesn't mean we've done something right. We need to be aware of that. I'm going to finish on this question. Next week we're going into light and there's a salt and light is not part of the Beatitudes, but it's no, it's no shock that it directly follows the Beatitudes. Okay? And so next week we're going to look at that. But let me ask you this question to finish this week, and you can wrestle with it this week. This Bible, your Bible, the Bible, Who's under its authority? Who is under the authority of the words written in the Bible? Who's we? Pardon? I would argue that the Bible. is the authority and guidance and revelation for followers of Christ. If you don't recognize there is a God, if you don't think there is even a God, let alone the God of what the Bible claims, you place no authority in it. You place no weight on it. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Doesn't mean it's wrong, well But That is our authority. We pay attention to the Bible because it is the written word of our God to give us direction to reveal himself and to help us live lives that glorify him. But Joe down the street, who's an atheist, he doesn't care about that. But the better we treat Joe with love, engage with Joe and build a relationship and we're honest with Joe. The more Joe will see God's light in us and Joe will respond in one of two ways. He'll either be attracted to the light or he'll be repelled by the light. We're called to faithfully be the light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the great and heavenly God. We thank you that you have given us your word, that you reveal yourself in your word, and that you revealed yourself through Jesus, our Saviour, in fullness, Lord. And we thank you so much for that. And help us as followers of you to live lives that reflect you, that shine your light out of us so that others can come to know you too. We know that you want to use us for our benefit, not for your benefit, not for your your bonus, but it's for our benefit, our our growth, that you use us, and we thank you for that. So help us to be that this week in your Son's name. Amen. Now we're gonna.